0: Hello, and welcome to Sharp China. I'm Andrew Sharp, and you are listening to a free preview of today's episode.
1: It's one of those things where we have to be careful about assuming that any individual ambassador is going to signal any sort of shift or be able to affect any sort of a change. He will be doing his job and he will will behave and act, I think, on how sort of his bosses, especially the one at the top, want him to behave. And so he's a skilled diplomat. He's very experienced. He knows the U.S. Um, I have not met him. I know plenty of people who have. And it's a positive in the sense that it's somebody who has an understanding of the U.S. But that individual is no reason to think that, again, that that this marks any sort of specific kind of shift.
0: Were there other contenders you were hoping for?
1: I mean, there's a there's a the the um, the diplomat who runs the. Information section. Who's uh, like a spokesperson and now an assistant vice minister, I I She's she's entertaining, um, mm-hmm. and you know I thought it'd be, be kind of nice to actually have a female ambassador to the U.S. I don't think they've had uh, the PRC has put uh, appointed women to be ambassadors. I think in like Australia and UK as, as sort of the other big U.S. allies. Um, but she's not. It, she didn't make sense. It was just more of a just like she's more I think entertaining and. Certainly entertaining
0: is. in what respect?
1: Uh, she's pretty caustic. She's pretty she's just, you know, and she and she likes to spar with the press. And but again, it's not it's unlikely that Xi mean, Feng is the one who makes the most sense. And so, you know, it's it's important that they that the PRC get an ambassador here. But, you know, most like the U.S. ambassador of Beijing, I mean, the ambassadors don't they're not the ones who drive policy. Uh,
0: Do they have fewer responsibilities today than they would have like 10 years ago when there was more interaction between our two countries? I don't think so.
1: I I just think like at least on the U.S. side, the way their policies evolved, I mean, it's much more driven out of the White House than it was, say, I think 30 years ago. I mean, this is more latitude in the old days than Ambassador. Plus, it was harder to communicate in some ways. But now it's Mm -hmm. really um, hard to see him representing any sort of a shift, at least from what we know about him.
0: Okay. And what well, we know
1: about the, the policy process from Beijing.
0: This dovetails well with our first mailbag question today. As usual, you can email us questions at email at sharpchina.fm. And you could also leave questions in the comments of Bill's open thread on Cynicism every Friday. First question is from Ed. He says, amazing show. I've been following both English and Chinese media, and yours is by far the most insightful and interesting. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Ed. All right. Um, I didn't pay for
1: that. That that was not a plan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You kept your $100. Um, (laughs) One question on my mind is this. Why don't China's diplomats go through more media training to better influence the rest of the world? I can see how wolf warrior diplomats play to some domestic audiences, But you've got to be able to project a confident, assertive China with more finesse without pissing everyone off. It seems like some work with a media consultant could at least help in this department. And obviously, this question is topical with the other diplomacy news that Zhao Lijian, the world's foremost edgelord diplomat, has been reassigned from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to the Department of Boundary and Ocean Affairs. Um. What do you think, Bill? What, just so it's general. a great it's
1: a it's a great question, and I and I think that there is a realization that that needs to happen, and I think some of them may have may have gone through some training when they're posted overseas. I think the bigger issue, though, is tying back to the domestic political system. I mean, there's just a fundamental different view of what media is. You know, mm-hmm. on the in the domestic system, media does what they're told. And so, you know, you're never going to have a confrontational discussion with a PRC media person. If you're a PRC diplomat, it's going to be a, um, a very softball discussion slash placement of your views. And so it's very difficult to understand or, or really accept how the, say, the, the Western media operates. Also, it, it's really it's also very risky for an individual diplomat to say something off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it has to be very You have to be. you have to be either very, very senior uh, and or very, very well scripted, because otherwise you just don't know you could say something that turns out to blow up in your face.
0: So there's it, no Chinese version of Joe Biden going on Meet the Press and talking about legalizing gay marriage before anyone else in the White House had discussed that.
1: No, no, <laughs> don't think that would go over very well within <laughs> the CCP. Go very well here either. But obviously it worked it's out true. for him. Um, but um and and so and so that is a uh, but it's a great question. And you would think that and I, I do think, though, that, that we're starting to see an increasing sophistication, at least in some quarters of how to deal with the Western media in particular. Um, mm-hmm. To the other question where you brought up, Andrew, about Zhao Jen, who was the um, uh, one of the foreign ministry spokesperson. He was the deputy director of the information department at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and he was he was really the sort of the path breaking wolf warrior face in the sense that he was very um very aggressive from the podium, very caustic, sounded almost like a hooligan in the way he talked and the way he put put people in countries down um, mm-hmm. and he didn't finish his normal i think they normally have a three year term in that post and he left a little bit early he's now been moved over to a similar rank in a different department that deals with sort of boundary issues and on paper, it's a lateral move. I can't find any person who, who uh, on the Chinese side who understands the Chinese system who thinks this isn't basically a demotion, that he somehow has something happened and he has now been put out to the PRC version, the the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs version of Siberia. Um, right. We, we don't know, right? They're not going to tell us. And it's certainly uh, it, what we can, we can know in a few years, depending on how his career progresses. He's 51 years old. He um, normally, from that post that he was in with a foreign ministry spokesperson, you go to a different department, or you get an ambassadorship. So this is a non um, non-conventional, unconventional move for someone from that post, which is one of the reasons why people sort of say this looks like something happened. Exactly mm-hmm. what happened? There's lots of speculation. There, are some people who say, "Oh, the new foreign minister wants to have a nicer, you know, have a have a have a um, change the tone," and so therefore they had to push him aside because even though his colleagues are um, you know, they're not patsies and they are and they are not shrinking away from standing up for China's interests. Um, they're saying it in a softer tones, right? right? That's one version. Another version is, you know, I think we talked to his wife. His wife went on this, you know, she posted a bunch of stuff to her Weibo in November that were sort of at odds with the propaganda themes at the time around COVID that may have gotten him in trouble. He had a moment at one of his press conferences where he uh, two different questions were asked and he didn't say anything for a minute because he, he looked like zoned out. Well, yeah. it looked like he didn't have his he didn't have his script. Maybe he forgot it, maybe he just and, and wasn't prepared. Um and then he got sick over after Christmas and his wife was was posting again to her Weibo account about she couldn't buy medicine. He was really sick, which again was not sort of what you would expect from right. a diplomat given sort of how they're trying to present things. And so we just don't know. His last appearance was the 2nd of December. So it was over a month ago. It was before Gong became the new foreign minister. Um, and now he's, we may not hear from him. You know, I, I don't think he's been on Twitter. I should check. He blocked me almost three years ago, I think. when <laughs> what he What an honor, yeah. Well, I mean, he just, you know, it, it, the thing is, is he was, he really, he did a lot of damage to China's image over uh, overseas. I mean, in some yeah. ways the U.S. should thank him. We should probably, the U.S. should probably give him an award. Because he was so beneficial to the U.S. diplomacy uh, among other countries because he just made he he just made China look so bad.
0: Yeah, that's one of my questions. Given all the years you've spent watching China, what was it like to watch wolf warrior diplomacy emerge? Because it's fairly recent, right? I mean, it's only four or five years old that this sort of became a a theme of Xi's reign. Uh, Unless I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: well, the tone—the tone is what changed. The underlying concept of Wolf Warrior is—it's really more about standing up for China's interests, no longer being pushed around, pushing back when they feel like they're being pushed pushed against. Um, mm-hmm. All uh, you know, not all legitimate concerns, and and those are really I see them as a, like sort of core bits of what's known as Xi Jinping thought on diplomacy because there's Xi Jinping thought for everything. So of course, there's Xi Jinping thought for diplomacy. Um, what sort of gets so you have sort of the substantive bits, and then you right. have the the sort of the the more sort of superficial surface bits and around say tone. And Jolly Jen was really on the on the extremes of the very aggressive, very coarse tone, right? Whereas you have other diplomats and other representatives of the government who are staying true to those principles of pushing back and fighting back and struggling, but they're doing it with more of a smile on their faces. So they're not as um, they're just not as sort of tonally aggressive or tonally offensive as Zhao Jan was.
0: To look at it as an outsider, it just looks so strategically counterproductive to approach foreign relations this way with this, if it was a concerted strategy to become more caustic and abrasive in all these different well, interactions.
1: It's a great, it's again, there's, I think the people are probably writing dissertations on it because it, it, domestic politics drives a lot of it he was a celebrity in China he still is and mm-hmm. his approach was very popular online and and again you know it was also very much promoted online and so it was it was part of this this broader effort out of the propaganda side to stir up nationalism and and it's so so it really you know he, you know, the, the thing was, is he was almost more acting like he was a cadre in the propaganda department than he was a diplomat. Right. 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 And, exactly. And I had heard from several people that, you know, there was a lot of people in the foreign ministry who have not been happy with him for a while, but that there were very power figure, powerful figures above the foreign ministry who thought that this was good.
0: Yeah. And so,
1: I mean, you know, years ago, I probably dig it up. I remember writing like, actually, you know, let's just let him talk. This is great. (laughs) We should just let him talk because if you're the U.S. government or you're the British government, the Australian government, this guy is just doing wonders for you.
0: All right. And that's the end of the free preview. If you'd like to subscribe and receive full episodes of this show, you can do that in two ways. First, you can go to Cynicism.com and sign up for Bill's newsletter, which will also give you access to all of our Sharp China shows, or if you want to receive all our Sharp China episodes along with daily analysis of the tech business from Ben Thompson, several other podcasts about technology, and more shows that we'll be adding in the months to come, you can click the link in your show notes and subscribe to Plus.